0: Welcome to the Law of Startups Podcast. I'm Mike Schneider.
1: And I'm Joe Wallen. Thank you for being with us. Uh, today, we are lucky to have in our uh, studio, Buzz Uh Buzz is the founder of a company called Active Words, a very active member of the Seattle uh, early-stage tech company community. Uh, Buzz has been an advisor mentor to a lot of different companies. Uh, he's also a... Uh, we're not going to hold against him, but he's a Duke basketball fan and uh, a <laughs> uh, former lawyer. So anyway, welcome to the show, Buzz. Thanks for being with us. Thanks, guys. Great to be here. And, and we do. We, we, I am an, appreciative, uh, an appreciator of Duke basketball. I'm, I'm an appreciator of the coaching and, and everything. I'm just sort of, sort of joking about Duke.
2: Well, I mean, it's very simple. There are two groups of people in life, <laughs> Duke fans and those who want to be. <laughs>
1: Well, okay, that's a good intro. That's a good intro to the show. So, so Buzz, so you've been a, like an advisor, mentor to a lot of companies, a lot of early stage tech companies in Seattle for like, I don't know how long. How long, When did you arrive in Seattle?
2: Well, it's funny. I got here about 10 and a half years ago. Uh, I decided to move here in December on the theory that if I could live through the winter, I certainly could live through the summers.
1: Okay, so you got here in December, and that was like so. It was like two thousand five. Okay,
2: right. Right. and was that
1: a, a bad winter? I forget.
2: It rained for twenty nine days in a row. Wow, who's counting though? That, that's a <laughs> non, that's
1: a very non Seattleite thing to
2: do to count. Actually, yeah. I mean, I I, I came to realize that uh, my toes were growing together, sort of web footage, so that I was going, and I I would be able to adapt. But it was it was very interesting because I came here from Orlando, Florida, and. Uh, I would say the tech community in Orlando was small. Right. As in, real small.
1: You were the only tech company founder in Orlando at that time? Well, point?
2: I always remember that when we raised the money for ActiveWords, it was like uh, front page news. Oh, huh. wow. On the theory that nobody had gone out and raised the kind of. Uh, we raised basically a million four over uh, two raises okay. in 1999, thousand, two thousand and one. 2001 and it was pretty revolutionary. Um, the Orlando, Orlando community had some tech, some gaming, some simulation, Lockheed Martin, Disney, things like that, but nothing like nothing like. I, I didn't even imagine how um, rich and varied and interesting the Seattle tech community was until I really got into it. But um, I, when I drove under the I-90 tunnel coming into Seattle, I had this modest epiphany that I knew six people in Seattle. Hmm. So I'd moved 3,000 miles to a little tiny apartment in Seward Park, and uh, I decided to figure out um, how, how Seattle worked. And I began going to every single event that I could go to. Anytime anybody had an event, I would go to it, and I would meet people, and I would network, and I would... Uh,
1: and 10 years ago, that was possible. It's probably not possible to do that anymore.
2: Uh, you know, it's funny. I, 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 I ran an event for a number of years called Tertullia sort of a, you know, once a month event where I'd invite all the smart people that I met to come and talk about ideas. And today, boy, it, it's hard to imagine a night where there isn't something going on that you you could be competing with. And that's, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, that's great. Um, a lot of the events are pretty specialized. But along the way, um, I got to know people like T.A. McCann, and I worked on GIST with T.A., and I got to know Andy Sack, uh, before Techstars came to Seattle, got you no know, Brad before before Techstars came to Seattle. So the moment, for example, that Techstars came to Seattle, um, you know, I stepped up and said, you know, I want to be a mentor. I want to be involved. I want to help these companies. I want to give back. Um, because one of the things that had been kind of glaringly apparent to me in my lifetime is that nobody had ever been interested in mentoring us. Nobody had ever been interested in helping us. We were, we were pretty much on our own. In fact, I tell a story about how when we raised the first round for ActiveWords, after sort of brainstorming a product, kind of assembling a little bit of a team, raising the money, I felt like the dog who had chased the car and caught the car and then looked around and said, you know, what do I do with the car? You know, how do we build a product? How do we how do we build a team? How do we build a product? How do we build a distribution channel? How do we do all these things? Because it was really the Wild West. Not not that it's less of the Wild West today, but um, it, it, it's a different world. And coming from a very entrepreneurial real estate practice where in a boom-bust economy of Orlando, I was either doing the deals in the real estate economy or the litigation over the deals that blew up because the economy had tanked. Um, you know, it, was, it was a pretty different world.
1: Huh. It's pretty fun. So... Sounds like you've been involved with some really great Seattle companies.
2: Well, I think the most interesting one was GIST. Um, And unfortunately, I say unfortunately, after a terrific exit, uh, GIST was sold to BlackBerry and became the uh, contact management inside BlackBerry. But when, what's today? Today is Wednesday, on Monday, when Microsoft announced they were buying LinkedIn for $26.2 billion. uh, I found myself thinking how... Much better and richer a product just was than what LinkedIn is today. Huh? And and
1: Yeah. So, Mike, what do you think about the LinkedIn Microsoft deal?
0: Yeah, it sounds it sounds like a good fit. You know, like um, Microsoft does the enterprise thing, and and uh, you know, it seems like LinkedIn is the kind of product that really should be kind of incorporated into Outlook or you know an email client, so that that information surfaced. Um, in terms of valuation, I guess if you had to compare it. You know, LinkedIn is a is a social media company, so my guess is that Microsoft was buying users as much as they were buying the, the technology. Um, and, the, you know, it's, it's all about having the, the network there. Hey, but don't you, um, Mike,
2: don't, don't you feel like if LinkedIn's got – I mean, I'm number 1540, 1,540 of the 400 million users on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. How many of those LinkedIn users do you think aren't already using Microsoft products?
0: yeah, it's a good question uh, I mean Microsoft has huge penetration, so they're not getting new new faces to like know who Microsoft is, but in terms of buying into the social media landscape um you know you've got a lot of profiles and you've got people going there to, to interact with each other. And it's, it's, um, I I don't know if it's worth that. I mean, there's a lot of hype around social media in general and, and like, you know, Facebook buys up companies, um, for tons of money and you have to wonder whether that makes sense. Um, but, but I guess, you know, a lot of these companies are fearful that messaging is the next big thing and, and you need it, you need a user base in order to do that kind of stuff. So maybe they're thinking they can leverage LinkedIn into that, um, I don't, I don't know what other, what other social media site is sort of available that has the, the number of users that LinkedIn does and, and also kind of fits in with the enterprise right. market. I, I, I,
2: I, I hear that argument. Um, what I found myself thinking, and it reminded me of a conversation I had with a very good friend of mine named Robert Scoble, who's now out there chasing all the AR and VR stuff that he can find. Uh, probably 2006, 2007, Robert and I were talking about how If Microsoft, and Robert was working on Channel 9 at Microsoft at the time, about how if Microsoft took a billion dollars, they could make a a $1 million investment in 1,000 companies. Right. Right. And and hence, with those $1,000, $1 million investments, they could own the future.
1: Well, but those companies would get sold off to somebody else and Microsoft wouldn't control them, right?
2: Microsoft would be exited out. But this goes back to the valuation question with, with LinkedIn if you had 26 1 billion dollar investments you could you could own a big chunk of the future and i i just i mean there's there's a bit of the microsoft linkedin deal that makes me feel like a nokia in social media gotcha i don't, I don't I wasn't i didn't understand well enough what equantif did uh, even though i've been very impressed with the guys that i knew who who built equantif But to to write down eight billion dollar investments, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't get it. I, I I just, I mean, clearly, my business model isn't nearly as good as Microsoft. Therefore, (laughs) it's hard for me to second guess what they're doing. But I just, I just wonder. And um, I think if it's about the future, I mean, you know, one of the arguments I heard last year or two was that it was going to be a great deal for Microsoft's dynamic CRM product. I, I, I look at switching costs a lot. You know, what's it going to take to get people to modify their behavior one degree to use your product or use a new product? Now, of those 440 million LinkedIn users, how many of them use Salesforce? Is the fact that Microsoft bought LinkedIn going to make them move from Salesforce to dynamic CRM? I don't think so. I, 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 don't, I don't see that happening, but that's just me
0: yeah but what do you think about the Skype acquisition by microsoft did Did you think that was a good pickup i mean it's it's a sim, similar in some ways because it's a technology but it's also a big you know user base
2: you know it's funny I think about Skype as a product that I use a lot, and eighty percent of the time it works great, and twenty percent of the time it blows up and if you're going to spend eight billion dollars on a product, it ought to work. 99% of the time, perfectly. Now, I, I, I know I've got a nag inside Skype that reminds me that I've got to pay them, you know, you know give them 10 bucks to get back some more Skype minutes so I can call cell phones. Um, I, haven't give, I haven't paid anything to use Skype in forever, so I shouldn't be complaining about the fact that 80% of the time, it's, it's fine, it works free. Um, it, it, you know, we're a small company, uh, we've got people working for us around the world. Uh, we use Skype. We use GoToMeeting. Uh, we use these kinds of collaboration tools, and and they work pretty well. They're kind of magical, actually. Uh, I'm totally fascinated by my ability to sell, or my ActiveWords ability, to sell software all over the world, for my ability to simply have to figure out what time it is somewhere so that I can talk to a customer or interact with a customer or respond to a customer using free tools. I mean, it, 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 it kind of feels too good to be true. I mean, I'm old enough to recall that when I was in college, the cheapest time for me to call my parents was 4 o'clock on a Sunday afternoon because that's when the rates were the lowest, either 4 o'clock on a Sunday afternoon or um, after 11 on Sunday night. And, you know, that was a very calculated and measured decision. Um I always often talk about um, a book or a lot of books that I've read, one of which is called "The Death of Distance." It was written by a British woman uh, editor at The Economist magazine, and she talked about different technology use cases where distance had been made to disappear and one of those use cases was um, cell phones because with basically you know cell phone free minutes. You never think about where somebody is or when you're going to call them. It's just like they're there. And with these other tools, they're just there and they're always available. And it's changed our relationships forever as to how we do business, how we sell products, how we interact with people. So you've worked with a lot of companies who are trying to figure out
1: distribution or how to try to figure out sales. Talk to us about that.
2: Um, I guess, you know, and when we were prepping for this, for the podcast, I found myself on thinking about a rant that I always use with younger companies and I always talk to them about markets and how big markets are and what the market is they're going after and how they, how they propose to attack that market. And one of the things I've been fascinated of over the last two or three or four years is the failure of little companies to understand who has the money. You know, it's um, you know, sort of red-eyed right Jerry Maguire, you know, show me the money, who's got the money? And in consumer facing products, i 'm um, fascinated by the fact that they don't understand that aging baby boomers control seventy percent of the wealth in America. so the idea that you're just going to throw up an app in the app store and expect sort of you know if you build it, they will come, uh, you know companies have to have a well thought through strategy as to who's the market, how we 're going to get the market, and you know this sort of um, Oh, what I used to think of as the Marcus of Queensbury rules where everybody is so polite. You know, has turned into a world where you really have to hit on people seven, eight, nine, ten times. Yeah, so and let's th- let's talk about
0: that. So I, I, I'm particularly interested in like SaaS services. I'm working on one myself at the moment. And uh, I notice with the companies that I'll be competing with uh, because I, I, you know, sign up and use their products Um, You know, the the drip marketing and the drip email system in terms of trying to get people to convert is uh, tenacious. I mean, it's it's I don't know. And you notice you notice it when you sign up for any kind of these any kind of SaaS service that seems to be, I guess, doing it right. I'm not sure if it's doing it right, but it's it's an email every couple of days. They look very canned, but they're trying to be very like personable, and they want to keep touching you and keep getting you to come back because they, I guess, they're worried you'll you'll drift away and won't sign up. Um, and I find it I find it kind of annoying, but I also realize that it, it must be working. Uh, what have you have you had any experience with that stuff?
2: Well, it, it, you know, we've had a lot of experience with it, and um, one of the things that I try to do is I try to touch every person who either tries or buys a copy of ActiveWords. A couple times, and we one of the things that we we saw early early on, much to our surprise, was that once we doubled the trial period. Huh. So what was the trial period before you doubled it? The, the trial period was thirty days, and we doubled to sixty days because because in the long term sc- scheme of things, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And uh, I've had long discussions with uh, the guys at rival IQ. Q. Which is a very, very clever Seattle company about social media marketing and creating a dashboard to see what's going on. Uh, their trial period is like 14 days. And what they're afraid of is they're afraid of the fact that somebody will use their product for 14 days I say what they're afraid of this is what I recall. They're afraid that somebody will use their product for 14 days and get all the utility mm-hmm. out of it that they need, right and that they won't have to have to buy. Um, my argument back to them is that if you don't keep adding value, then the, then they do get everything out of it that they need and they don't come back. Um, getting people to modify their behavior one degree is a much, much harder product than I, problem I ever thought about. I assume that if you built a killer product that did all kinds of cool stuff, that somebody would look at this and say, Oh my God, I can't live without it. But in, 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 in reality, it, it takes every bit of sixty days worth of use of a product today to end up, you know, being on 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 the on the first screen on a mobile device, or you know, the the go to app that you're using on your computer. Um, I remember uh, going to the Evernote developer conference in 2013 or 2014, and Phil Levin, the then CEO of Evernote, got up in front of the group and said, you know, what we've learned is that if You can't create a new note in Evernote in 10 seconds. We've lost you as a customer. And I found myself thinking about how was it that important? Were people that fickle? Were they that, you know, ADD uh, that they had to be able to create a new note in Evernote in 10 seconds? Or they'd forget about the app or forget about the functional utility of the app? And you went, oh, you know, wow. Wow. These are guys who've given a lot of thought to this. I mean, they've got 100. At the time, they had 165 million uh, accounts using Evernote. How is Evernote doing now? Do we know? As far as I know, they're doing fine. They're just not growing explosively. It's sort of like you know market saturation of the people who will realize the importance of a note taking uh, process. I mean, one of the things I've certainly noticed is how fragmented
1: has Evernote has Evernote integrated with Alexa yet? Um, <laughs> Mike, you have an Alexa, don't you? Yeah,
0: yeah, I, yeah, I, I, I haven't think, seen anything I, for Evernote on Alexa. Um, I think,
1: think that would be a good idea for Evernote.
2: Well, I think that um, I'm wondering if with if this, then that, you could not create an, a, a little uh, Evernote script that basically that says, "Alexa, you know, do this in Evernote." Uh, I, yeah, yeah. I, you know, but again, anybody who 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 doesn't think we're we're still early in this drama. It's crazy. I mean, these are this is A, the Wild West, B, it's early, and there's, there's a lot more to come. I mean, there's an endless number of industries and businesses that are going to get disrupted in some way, shape, or form. Um, last Friday, I got a a tour, if you will, of HTC's uh, VR product here in Pioneer Square. Oh, yeah? Okay. Uh, I got invited in with um, uh, two of my friends to experience the HTC stuff. And... Uh, I was totally fascinated by it. Now, am I, you know, the quintessential aging baby boomer, going to go buy a headset, headphones, and tether it to a new computer, the new big gaming computer that I'd have to build in order to do this? Uh, I don't think so. But again, you know, the HTC guys, I think, were pretty clear, or I read someplace else, is that there's three to five years away from the commercialization of, of VR. And one thing uh, that's interesting, so I've
0: got a, I've got a Vive here at the house and I've, uh, I've used it a bit. Um, and I'm, I've just, a, I, I'm pretty impressed with it overall. It does seem like it's going to be pretty amazing in three years. But one of the interesting things about it is that um, I've been buying quite a bit of software for it, which is kind of um, unusual for me. I mean, I, I, I buy games periodically, but like with the Vive, there's kind of these experiences. So you put the Vive on and then you've got the Steam uh, app store, which sells the games. And um, it, it just, it, it's basically like the app store app storeization of, um, of VR and, and uh, valve who makes the steam store and it has collaborated right. to make the, the Vive headset. Um, they made it really easy to, uh, to install and run these, these VR apps. And so I've probably spent, I don't know several hundred dollars on VR VR experiences, um, and so the good sure. news about it is it may be it may be an early um, early product, but it seems to be getting me to open my wallet in a way that you know mobile apps don't necessarily, because uh, these games are like some of them are twenty thirty dollars, um, and they you know they're, they're still pretty rudimentary at this point. One of them What's that the- I played was a <laughs> recently I think it was a twenty dollar app, and it is a, it was a a virtual Uh, like a bar with a, with a couple pool tables and you can play pool. Um, and it's, and you use these, the the thing that sets the, the, uh, Vive apart in my opinion is these, um, that the, the controllers for the hands are really very good. I haven't used the Oculus controllers, but I'm not sure that they're even really out yet. Um,
2: yeah, I, I I was impressed with them also, but let me, let me pose another question to the, to you guys, because you're the next next generation of smart guys. Um, if I'm right about the idea of selling an experience, and if VR is going to be the idea, uh, I always thought back in the early days of uh, high-def television, 1080p stuff, particularly 1080p stuff, that destination resorts were making huge mistakes in not developing killer content for HDTV, you know, which ultimately, I guess, became the travel channel to create this experience where I could sit and watch this stuff on TV and say, man, I really want to go to, you know, fill in the blank. I really want to go to Whistler. I really want, you know, places I haven't been. So if I'm right about aging baby boomers having the cash and looking for experiences, do you anticipate that the travel guys are going to get into delivering VR experiences to help people make decisions relative to where they want to go? Because if I'm sitting here in Seattle today, and somebody says, uh, "Let's go to Italy," and I say, "Okay," I gotta pack my stuff. I gotta get to the airport. I gotta fly, you know, 12, 14 hours. Bad seat. Bad food. You know, lots of people. You know, deal with uh, security. Uh, you know, all the all the the bad things about travel to get to experience something. So if you deliver that something to me in such a vivid context, are you going to make me modify my behavior to reach into my pocket, pull out my credit card, and pull the trigger on going there? Or are you going to tie that into the marketing experience? Because if I'm right, that should be, that should be replicated across lots and lots and lots of industries. You know, cars, uh, you know, Redecorating your home, uh, all those things. And I see, I see the applicability of it all. But again, I think we're early, and how do you equip the buyer? So maybe, the, maybe there's ways to do this, and maybe there's startups out there that are listening to this that are thinking about this. Um, go ahead.
1: So, Mike, have you bought any uh, Vive apps that are like travel, uh, you know, travel type apps?
0: Well, so they have they have apps on the App Store that are very much uh, focused on like uh, recreating a particular place, like destinations. They have one called Destinations that I think Valve maybe have, have even created, um, and and it and they've given people tools so that they can. Create three dimensional spaces for people to be in with a with a basic you know a, a camera, so you take a few hundred images and you run them through a computer, and the computer reconstructs this space. Um, and then you can feel kind of like you're standing in the space. And the more time you spend on the details, you can make the space very realistic. Um, and so I could see that, like, there's definitely a market for, you know, hey, I want to feel what it's like to stand on top of this mountain. Or I want to feel what it's like to be in a courtyard in, in, um, in Italy, you know, to, to get the feeling for it. Um, but I don't know that it's going to drive the tourism yet. I mean, it feels like that's kind of a – those apps still have to get made. And right now I don't know that the commercial – there's so much low-hanging fruit in VR for just making things that people buy that are basic and sell them as a software experience. Um, it seems like for now, at least at the beginning, until this stuff becomes really inexpensive to make, I would say that it's more of a replacement for travel, where people would say, "Okay, well, I'm gonna spend some money for thirty dollars, and I'm gonna I'm gonna be in VR and feel what it's like to be in a particular place." And it might pique their interest to travel more, but um, but that seems like it it may be a tough thing to. To translate like it, it might be a bit too disconnected from the there 's too many steps between making the VR experience and then seeing the money from the people come to your resort It, it feels like maybe that that the people that are putting their effort into making VR things would, would maybe want to capture the more immediate payoff like of just charging people for things at least until it becomes more commonplace
2: well let me post another another example for you. Uh, I won a Xbox at one point in time and um, I thought, what do I do with the Xbox? I'd never played, I mean, the only computer game I could ever remember playing was Solitaire, and I, did, I think I did that once. Right. Um, I said, so I went to Best Buy, and I walked into the Xbox department, and I talked to this bright young kid, and I said, if I've got an Xbox, I don't, even, I don't even remember if it came with a game or not. And I said, what are the two best games that you think Xbox sells? And the guy said, you know, Tiger Woods Golf and the Forza Racing game. Um, it would be very easy for me to imagine somebody creating a VR experience for both of those. That yeah. If those mm-hmm. if those were the, the killer games for the Xbox at the time, the idea that I could play Tiger Woods Golf and I could go to uh, Oakmont or I could go to uh, Augusta or I could do things like that with the controllers that we talked about from HTC, that begins to get... Interesting. If you're a golfer and it's cold, wet, and rainy outside, and you say, "Okay, instead of putting on the on the living room carpet, I can step up and I can go play 18 you know, with Tiger at uh, at Augusta, uh, that that begins to get to be a very compelling idea. Um, but again, when, when you know, let's 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 circle back to what's going on in real life here. <laughs> what what I see people doing, often and more often than not, is building features rather than products. And there's this sort of um, uh, founder entrepreneur pride in the product, where they believe that their product is ultimately going to become, thing, become something that is freestanding that's going to change the world, which is great, 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 great. At the same time, we built a culture that rewards what I, what we call overnight success. You know, and people look across the landscape and they say, Oh my God, you know, look at what Mark Zuckerberg did with, with Facebook, you know, overnight turned it into a multi-billion dollar enterprise. You know, the great bulk of companies are gonna fail. Some of them are gonna succeed as features. And some, and and much, you know, I mean, this is sort of a funnel. Fewer are going to succeed as freestanding products that are going to have a big impact. And I think that's that's, that's both realistic and the way it's going to be. And it's not going to change. Um, there's nothing on the horizon that I see that's going to truly change that. Um... I am impressed with the people like at Pioneer Square Labs, and from what I understand that they're doing at Galvanize, and they've got a really smart team around, which is the idea of of, of trying lots of ideas, failing fast, seeing what's working, so that they can, you know, then run like hell with it. Um, but that's, that's hard. I mean, it's hard, of course, a lot of capital it requires, really smart people, and yet, um, I, I think it's a good idea. I mean, if I were, if I were, if somebody said, "Who do you want to sign up with today?" You know, who do you want to help out today? Um, you know, the, I'd love to be involved with the Pioneer Square Labs guys because I think they're really talented guys. Um, I I look around at a number of the little companies I've mentored, and I think will a handful of them will build good, solid businesses. I mean, well, I'll give you the best example I can give you right now of a company that I'm, I'm intrigued with is a company called Client Link. So, ClientLink Link was, is a Nine Mile Labs uh, company from this past spring cohort. And they're building a very clever little idea of a digital business card. And with a digital business card, not only do you have a digital business card, but it provides a platform by which you can be a referral hub to other people and other services and other ideas. Now that begins to feel a little bit like multi-level marketing in a, in a funny odd way, except for the fact that um, as you know when I was practicing law, I had I had a section of my Rolodex, section of my contacts reserved for people that I would refer business to who I had verified who I would authenticated, who I knew would do good work and I would do good things but I also wanted to be the go-to guy that people came back to who said oh gee buzz thanks for this great referral and oh by the way I need help with X and the first first sort of stage of where client link guys are at is they're focusing on um, residential real estate on the theory that the broker needs to or wants to be involved in a transaction as well as all future transactions. Because what? Most Americans, you know, buy-sell homes what, every five to seven years. So, you know, you, you, you get paid once and then you have to wait five years or seven years longer to get paid again. But without having some sort of virtual presence in the world of the client, you know, what do you do? You send them a Christmas card you send them a magazine subscription you do you know you buy them a, a coffee at starbucks if you happen to bump into them and so this 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 notion of creating not only people as virtual hubs for referrals on a personal relationship basis as well as learning all the the data that comes from that interaction uh, you know, I see massive network effects in something like that happening. Now, again, it's really early, and these are really smart young guys, and they're hustling, and they're doing a great job, and their product looks great. And you know, every, time, every time I show this to somebody, they go, wow, that's cool. I could use that. And I think that, I think that when you have that kind of a product idea – and you show it to somebody. If you're not getting real positive responses, as in, "That's cool. I could use it. I need it. How do I get it?" You know, you need to stop and step back, you need to stop, step back and say, uh, "How do we get there? How do we redefine what we're doing? How do we change what we're doing? How do we how do we go at it in a different way so we can get this? Wow, that's cool piece. And that's hard. You know, anybody who tells you that's not hard. And, I mean, 15 years into ActiveWorks, we've got customers all over the world. And yet we still struggle with how to, to define the power of the idea that we've built. And, you know, it's part of being an entrepreneur. It's part of being a startup guy. It's part of this whole world that we're living in, which is, which is br- brilliant. I mean, I remember being with Brad Feld one time and someone asked him, Um, if he saw the Techstars everywhere, the incubator everywhere idea coming. And he said, we started Techstars in Boulder because there was nothing going on in Boulder. He said the idea that we'd have Techstars in every major city with Techstars retail in Minneapolis sponsored by Target, with Techstars financial services in London sponsored by Barclays. He said, we didn't see that coming. So, the the people who tell you they see the future, I don't I don't buy that argument. The people who are building smart products, working their hearts out, failing fast, solving problems, those are people I like to hang out with.
1: So, Mike, uh, tell us about uh, tell us what you think about uh, whether you think or how long it will be until VR goes social.
0: Oh. social like uh, well, so right now almost all the the apps that i've used on v r are are single player kind of apps this the um the pool playing app that i that I tried it does have the ability to play against other people, and I think that stuff is just a matter of time because you know the technology for multiplayer games is all just sitting there it just needs to be applied to to these types of games so i i don't think it's very far off um i'd say i'd say three years from now things should be. Should be pretty great, um, because the the apps that are being built right now are really are really um, impressive, but then you know i, I don 't know what the what the sales cycles are going to be or the or the model cycles are going to be for these things, but i 'd like to think that that uh, valve will come out with another headset at some point in the next three years that will be better than what 's out now, and that the the resolution will be higher. Um, and, uh, and everything has to kind of evolve for that because for the resolution to be higher, you got to have a more powerful computer. So the computers have to become a little less expensive. So it's hard to predict how soon that'll happen. But, um,
1: yeah, but what the, I meant by that yeah. Mike, was like, right now we have the, I don't know, probably no one on the, on this podcast uses Snapchat, but, um, uh, you know, like I, I see it used sometimes by my daughters and I think, wow, that looks pretty cool. And, uh, I guess you can create, I mean, you create this cool thing called Snapchat stories. And I'm wondering how soon it'll be when, when any one of us will be able to create a a virtual reality experience to share with somebody like you would a Snapchat story.
2: Well, I thought when you asked the question about social, you were going to ask the question about how long is it before um, there's tons of porn in VR?
1: No, no, it wasn't going that way. I was going, Hey, so you're climbing that mountain, you're climbing that mountain, you're climbing Mount Rainier. And like, and then, like you, you just experience something really cool. You're at, you're at the top of the mountain, and you're thinking, "Man, this is cool." And you want to, you want, you're going to do something the equivalent of a Snapchat story, but you want to, you want to create a virtual reality Snapchat right. story. How far off, Mike? Do you think that is?
0: I think that's a bit a ways off. I don't know. It just seems like um, there's too many easy, there's too many low hanging fruit kind of problems to solve over the next couple of years before they get to that. Plus, you know, it's it's an, any kind of social media situation you're looking at a network uh, uh where you need kind of lots of people in it so like to send someone a vr snapchat you gotta they gotta have vr right so we're gonna have to get to the point where you know the majority of the people you know have access to a vr headset in order for you to feel like it it's something you think about when you are thinking about what to send them right um, you know kind of like no, video I, calling I, you know everybody's got to have it before you start to really think about using it
2: yeah, well, I'm old enough to remember that I had a client buy me a fax machine, so that he could send faxes to somebody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, you can't. I, say.
0: Yeah, what good is yeah. a fax machine if you're the only guy with a right. fax machine? It's pretty right. much a, a brick.
2: Well, the uh, you know you think about the history of of ideas. Um, the I don't know if you guys know that the reason why the Michelin guides were yeah. invented, okay, was because Michelin wanted to. Uh, tout ta- restaurants far enough away from Paris so that the people in Paris with cars would have to drive to the restaurants and you know wear out and blow their tires so as to be able to buy more tires. Jeez, are you kidding me, Buzz? No, that, that, that's, that, that's absolutely true. Uh, the one observation that I would make around some of this technology that we've been talking about is that I am absolutely convinced that Seattle... Washington is going to be the center of the universe for VR stuff, and the reason being the confluence of all the gaming stuff that we have here, as well as all the cloud computing. It is a perfect storm where you have the technology, you have the cloud, you have the gaming, you have lots of smart people. We seem to have a never-ending supply of young people who are coming here. So... I'm going to be waiting to see when Amazon, for example, begins to develop a, you know, a a, a VR presence because they have content. Let's call them books. They've got content. Let's call them Amazon Studios. They're they're doing TV sets. They've got, you know, AWS. They've got, you know, all the talent in the world. I mean, easy for me to imagine that short of them and you know they've got alexa they've got all these you know they, you know they've got they've got sort of this klingon battle fleet of people and stuff coming at you that they just have to pivot you know 1 degree to all of a sudden own own that space i mean it, 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 it's just fascinating to me and and you know if i'd love to do this podcast 5 years from now where somebody says man how did how did you see amazon coming to be the force in, in, in that space
1: yeah there's a great uh, there's a great uh, new company in, in Seattle called scout media and i don't know if you guys have checked this out yet you can check it out at scout.ai, but they uh they combine um they combine uh, sort of near term science fiction with uh technology news so there's this really great story they ran recently uh it, it was talking i think i think the story was about ethereum which is sort of a a blockchain development um technology but but the the, the short story the science sort of near-term science fiction short story that went along with it was about someone who was sitting in traffic. It was a woman who was sitting in traffic, and she was observing how many different Amazon vehicles were that, that she could see in, in the delivery trucks and the drones, and the fact that she was actually in a General Motors vehicle, which Amazon had purchased. And, and she was concerned that she wasn't going to get where she needed to go fast enough because the people who were delivering goods for sale were actually all also operating with under the same vehicles and same algorithms and might be Scooting through intersections faster, but no, she needn't worry because it was all done on an open distributed blockchain, and, uh, and and so it can't it couldn't be manipulated or polluted by by one commercial interest over another. So anyway, interesting stuff and fun yeah. stuff to think about. Yeah,
0: yeah if you're well, interested I, in Scout, uh, we, they were on the show. Uh, it had to be like a year ago, maybe. Um, but if you look back in the in the history, anybody that's listening, if you're interested in hearing more about Scout uh, Media, go go back uh, a few episodes and, and see. Uh, you can hear them talk about what they're doing.
2: You know, it's it's so interesting. I'm sitting here in Joe's office looking across Seattle and looking down at traffic grinding to a halt on I-5. So if this city is going to continue to prosper, you know, we got to crack the code and who knows how the technology community uh, uh, works to help this. We got to crack the code about traffic. We got to crack the code about housing. We got to crack the code about homelessness. Uh, We got to crack a handful of things. And you know, I, I'm persuaded that there's enough talent, uh, there's enough money, um, there's enough highly motivated people here that that, that, that can go a long way to, to, to doing this. You know, what it all looks like, and I don't know, but it reminds me, you know, uh, you know the, the classic Justice Brennan Justice uh, Stewart quote that, about pornography. Said, you know, I can't define it, but I know it when I see it, and I, I see the problems we have, I see how this tech how the technology piece is kind of began to fit. But, it, it, but it's, it's a real complex jigsaw puzzle. Um, I mean, I've, I, I told somebody earlier yesterday, you know, I lived in Orlando, Florida for 34 years. At one point in time, my office was probably a mile north of the Pulse nightclub in Orlando. And when I heard on Sunday morning all the, all the, all the stories about that. Terrible to, thing. to think that we can't apply some kind of technology solution to either heading that off or, you know, um, dealing with some of those problems or, and maybe technology is not the way to look at it, but I know, um, you know, that there's been a lot of argument made about smart guns, you know, that, uh, you know, how you implement technology to smart guns so that you don't have people, you know, uh, The wrong. I I don't. I don't know what the answer is, but 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 those problems need to be dealt with. I mean, the idea that going forward that people would be feel threatened if they went into a club or a restaurant or a bar or a theater or whatever, you know, puts such a dampening uh, on our society and how we we as Americans want to live.
1: That's a terrible thing. I was at the so two nights after or three nights after that event, I was at the mall. Uh, in Bellevue with my daughter when we were trying to have dinner we were actually working on a school project and we were coloring and uh and then the security guards ran through the mall and told us we all had to get out get out get out get out get out get out now get out and then it was I was scared it was scary
2: yeah
1: it was like oh I can't be involved with a large group of people because god knows like you know Terrible things. Hey, so, Buzz, if people want to find out about ActiveWords, they just go to ActiveWords.com.
2: ActiveWords.com. And I guarantee if they download a copy of our software and they use a Windows computer, it will change their life.
1: And you will call them or touch them twice. Yeah, uh, I'll,
2: just, I'll <laughs> touch them twice. But, you know, it's funny because this is the time for the, in, the, in the podcast for the commercial for ActiveWords, right? For sure. When we, when we built this product, uh, one of my co-founders, who is a very, very bright guy, said... Why don't computers understand us? And uh, when I originally thought about that question, I thought, well, because voice doesn't work. And today, voice does work. It does say, uh, uh, Alexa, you know, what time is it? Okay, Or it says, you know, um, Alexa, tell me a joke. Oh, you're gonna
0: make uh, yeah. everybody's you're gonna make everybody's Alexa's go crazy in their houses.
2: Right. It's not a commercial for Alexa.
0: No, I mean but, I mean if you if you keep saying Alexa and then a command uh on the podcast, anybody listening is gonna yeah, have their devices. Yeah. <laughs> you're gonna turn on everybody's yeah. devices.
2: But but anyway, so we built this little app It's a Windows utility that lets you type a letter, a word, an acronym, and it will do seven things. Uh, text expansion, launch an app, navigate to website, open a doc, open a file, folder, drive, uh, send email, and then various agents. And it's all about the eighty twenty paradigm. It's about the fact that you do repetitive tasks with your Windows computer all the time. And if you're out there listening to this, and you say to yourself, uh, "My name's Joe Wallen, and I like typing Joe Wallen over and over and over again." You're not an ActiveWords customer. <laughs> if you like typing J W space and it expands to Joe Wallen, then you're then you're an ActiveWords customer. Right? But what I've learned the hard way in what I call the ActiveWords Odyssey is there's an awful lot of people in our society, and this feels a little cynical, which it probably is, that are happier being busy than they are being productive. Hmm. And they feel good about busy when, in fact, if they're working for somebody, the somebody that they're working for who signed their paycheck wants them to be productive. So ActiveWords is all about productivity. It's all about getting ideas out of your head and accelerating them on. And, you know, part of our tagline is, you know, we give you back the only thing you can't buy, which is time. So... Nice, thank you for for a word from your from our sponsor. for sure, so active,
1: activewords.com. right Got it. Hey, Buzz, thank you so much for being on the show.
2: It was really nice to have you here. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, Mike. Uh, pleasure pleasure you know hanging with you guys.:
0: Yeah, thanks for being on, and everyone else, uh, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.